if, uh, you're, uh, if you have a Bible, then please turn with me to Mark 6, and uh, we're going to start reading from verse 45, verse 45. That's where the text is going to come from. When, whenever we read the Bible, um, whether we do it here in church or whether you do it on your own, what's... What I think what you'll probably do almost intuitively, it's the sort of thing that you would do naturally, but we, we seek to try and do in church, is you're trying to read the text against the backdrop of whatever's happening. So you do this naturally. If you read the Bible on your own at home, what you'll, from time to time, will happen to you, I'm sure is you're reading something and suddenly you go, wow, that's really important because of what's happening in the rest of my life. Um, and for some of you, um, I don't know what your, sort of, your practice is, and it, I, I, but I grew up sort of with the, um, the practice of underlining verses that have meant a lot or that meant a lot at the time. It's kind of like interesting, if you can keep a Bible for long enough, um, it's really interesting to see what you didn't underline, but it's also interesting to see um, what really mattered at the time. And if you underline it and just put a little date in, it's almost like a, an ongoing journal of how you think God's speaking to you. And what's going on is you're, you're, hearing, you're, you're reading this bit of the Bible, but it's against this big backdrop. Because I'm a conscious of either what's going on in my own life or in my family or my friends. or in, the... And then this week... You do the same, but of course it's not just now for what's happening in my life. You can't help but read the Bible against what's the big picture, the big picture of what's happening in Manchester. <laughs> Little girl going, I tried it, Mum, it was horrible. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to come back. Don't worry. No, no, that's fine. We've all had that attitude to church. <laughs> I tried it, Mum. It was awful. So when you, when you read a text like this, and I'm, I'm kind of reading ahead for you, really. So like when I'm in the week, when I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read this text, and, and I'm asking the questions both of the text, but I'm also asking the questions of what's the moment. I can't help but read it against what's gone on. And the amazing thing is, when you start to do that consciously, I think without trying too hard or without trying to make, to twist the text, I think what actually happens is you begin to see certain things a little clearer. It's like, wow, that almost could have been written for today. I think that's how God speaks, really. I think what God does is he sort of says, if you can have eyes that are open, both to what's happening around you and to what has happened in the past, you'll see the connections and you might hear something new. I was away, when, uh, I was away on Monday and Tuesday and um, I didn't catch the news on Monday night. I was, uh, I was on, on a retreat actually, but um, on Tuesday morning... Um, Maggie had sent me a text just saying, have you seen the news? It's awful. And I hadn't, and so I put it on. And, um, and, and as a sort of the, the morning just began to sort of 
unfold for me. I, I had emails from people that I knew from Australia and America and Ireland and places that kind of I knew people. And they were asking me, um, you know, they were sort of saying, you know, terrible to hear about what's happened, but are, are you all okay? Has, has it affected you directly as church? And, um, and on Tuesday morning, I'm kind of writing back and saying, no, not as far, you know, I don't think it has. But then by Wednesday morning, recognizing that actually it has. Because there's people who were in schools with children who were, who'd been killed. People who knew people who'd been killed. Steve, who doing his football teams and a kid that died in it. And even this morning, listening to some of you coming into church, just recognizing the, the connections. It's kind of like, I found that quite amazing, really, to be honest. Just in a smallish church, the number of connections we have. And then as the weeks rolled out, you just watch it unfolding. One of the, one of the responses to something like this week is to ask, how do we respond? Because we have both the same reactions and the same questions that everybody else has. But how do we respond as people of faith? The songs we sang this morning at the beginning, that first song about uh, Jesus being the line of Judah, is actually from Revelation. The end book of the Bible, which was written to Christians who were in a context where actually things weren't right in many, many ways. And they were trying to say, well, what does faith look like here? And so we watched as the vigils happened, and I think that was really early on, and then suddenly St. Anne's Square is just filled. And um, all the people who, who were looking after the cordons kept on moving back because just so many people wanted to come and bring flowers and to lay their own thoughts. And people have the questions. I was chatting to Natalie because Natalie is part of Street Pastors. She runs Street Pastors in Manchester and she'd gone down on some of the nights and were, their team were involved in the Street Pastor work down there. And asking them, well, what were people talking about? And they're asking all the same questions that everybody asks. Why does this happen? How could they do this? Who's responsible? What can we do? A mixture of anger and sadness and frustration at the situation. And we're all the same. And it builds that sense of, if we're not careful, of feeling suspicious about everybody. On, uh, on Thursday, I, I went to Belfast for the day. And... Um, and it's, I, I tell you that just because it's in me too. I see it in myself. So I was on the plane, and um, there were three guys who, who didn't speak English, and they, they were from the Middle East, and they didn't speak English, and one of them had lost his identity card, and he thought he had lost it in the terminal, and he was trying to explain to the attendant what had happened. And, and I, I, I would want to class myself as a fairly straight-thinking, rational, you know, but... Dot, dot, dot. And just for a moment, it's kind of like, no, push it down again, Neil. Don't be stupid. And don't be judgmental. And don't assume. And don't think. And don't allow yourself to be the same. And I see it in me. 
So when I read in the paper this morning, the Sunday Times this morning, they had a little, little um, news piece about uh, a surgeon at Salford Royal, Hope. We'll always call it Hope. Hope Hospital. You can call it what you like outside. It's Hope Hospital. And this 48-year-old surgeon who'd been involved in um, the operations uh, dealing with the casualties was driving home from Hope Hospital after doing a 48 hours. He said he'd been on for, it said it had been on for 48 hours. I don't quite know whether that... I kind of hope there was some sleep in the middle of that. But anyway. And he's cut up by a white van driver. And uh, the surgeon, as he's telling the reporter, said, um, I just thought it was someone with road rage, so I kind of ignored it. But the next light, the guy got out of the van and banged on the car roof and called him an effing clacky and said, get home to your own place. We don't want you terrorists here. He's 48 years old. He was born in Keithley. So what I'm saying is, we all go, oh, that's awful. We'd never do that. But I know how events like that cause me. Sometimes, as rational as I wish to be, as godly as I wish to be, that all those same emotions spill out if I'm not careful. And I judge people and I am suspicious and I, I'm angry and I'm frustrated and... And so I come to the text and I have to read the text in a certain way because of what's happened this week. This week it's our city. But it'll be repeated. Monday night it was us. Wednesday night it was 19 Coptic Christians in Cairo. Next week. So how do you stay a people of hope? And how do you stay different? And how do you let this faith that we talk about and have held dear and committed ourselves to, how do we help the faith actually shape our response? For this week, we don't really do this in our sort of church tradition, but Thursday was Ascension Day. And the way it all fits is that on Good Friday, Jesus was crucified, and on Sunday, he rose from the dead. And then 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he both intercedes, prays for, but also oversees everything. How does someone like me, who believes in the ascension, how does that change the way I respond to this? Let me just put it into a context. What have we read so far in chapter 6? Well, Jesus offered hope to a village by miracles. He offered a threat to the palace where John the Baptist took a stand. He offered food to the hungry. And then finally, in this passage we're about to read, he offers peace to the weary. Let's read together. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat 
and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they hadn't understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. I want to say three really simple things about the passage. And... Um, I want you to see that. This is a, this is a picture by Turner of um, a storm and sea. Of, it's actually a steamship. But I think what Turner's got going on there is it's kind of like a visual picture of what I see in the text here in the story. It's kind of like the idea of there is the, the steamship there and you can see it. You can see it really clearly. But it's kind of blurred and it's, it's not clear because actually the storm clouds and the spray and the rain... It's so easy to miss what's there. In this text, three things about the story of Jesus walking in the water. Firstly, the disciples were not in danger. They weren't sinking. They weren't in danger. All that was happening was they were straining against the wind. The word straining is kind of like one of those words that's kind of difficult to get exactly um, because if you translate it exactly, um, it wouldn't make any sense in English. But the exact translation would sound something like they were being tortured by the wind and they could make no headway. Tortured by the wind and they couldn't make any headway. It's kind of like they were in the boat, they were doing their business, they were just doing it. But actually, the more you rode... The more the wind blew against them, no headway. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> You're not in danger, but it's like, I just can't keep going. I can't keep going because it's just like the, 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 the wind, that the, the, the forces that are coming against me are so strong. It's just like, it's too difficult to keep going. And yet, what's the alternative? So you try and you strain and you strain. How many times have we prayed, God, may your kingdom come? And it's just hard to keep on because the forces seem greater. Oh, God. They weren't in danger. It was just a strain. Second thing that interested me about the passage was this. And um, shortly after dawn... He'd gone out to them, walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. You kind of want to know. 
This is not irreverent. Jesus, what are you doing? (laughs) I I think anybody, and to be honest, everybody who writes about this, they go, what's going on here? It's like, is Jesus sort of just going to walk by and go, hi, boys. (laughs) You'll be fine. Jesus is trying to overtake them? Or is it something else? Some of you who might have uh, been a Christian longer or read a little bit more of the Old Testament might hear echoes of something else. Because that phrase, Jesus was about to pass by them, has an echo that actually you have heard before. You heard it in a wilderness story where Moses was meeting God and God says, I'll pass by you and you will see my glory. It's like one of these brilliant things in the New Testament that you can read it on any on sort of levels, but you read it and, and then suddenly there's echoes of other things that go on behind the text. And you go, ah, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Here are the disciples just doing the ordinary stuff. And in the middle of their ordinary, strain-filled life, Jesus passes by. And then when he gets to them, what does he say? Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Now, the way that God always seems to introduce himself, either when he's sort of like direct or through an angel, is don't be afraid. It's kind of like God's first words to you. Don't be afraid. It's like, because actually it is quite frightening. Like, uh, don't be afraid, you're okay with me, okay. So it's almost like Jesus is taking them up on himself, and he gets in the boat and goes, don't be afraid, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and I am the one who will show you my glory in the midst of the very situation that is so difficult. And then the third thing, and the wind dies down, and Jesus is in the boat, and then listen, listen to their reaction. None of the disciples said, we knew he'd come. They were completely amazed. We've read earlier that when he was out there in the middle of the storm, when they saw him walking on the lake, verse 49, they thought he was a ghost. It's like we didn't recognize Jesus. When he gets in the boat, they're astonished because we didn't, we didn't know it was you. We just never knew you were really with us. We thought we were seeing things. We were frightened and amazed, but we didn't think it was you. And uh, verse 51, they were completely amazed, for they hadn't understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You want to go? They hadn't understood about the loaves. What? Why are you bringing that up right now? Well, because that was the previous miracle. The feeding of the 5,000, Stephen talked about last week. This idea of the feeding of the 5,000, what's going on there? Well, it's more than just feeding for a hungry people, isn't it? They didn't understand. What should they have understood? They should have understood that in the midst of the wilderness, that Jesus is the one who provides. They should have understood in the midst of the wilderness that when they've got nothing, Jesus is the one who creates 
abundance out of nothing. They should have understood that actually just as the Israelites once upon a time had manna from heaven because God provided it, that actually God was in the midst of them. What should they have understood and what did they miss? And because they missed it, their hearts were hardened. Mark says. And I, I, I thought about this week. And I thought, what if I miss the full meaning of the resurrection and the ascension? What happens to my heart? Well, the truth is, if I forget about the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, my heart grows hard. That's actually what happens. I'm just like everybody else. And I'm not judging anybody because I see it in me. It's like I'm not better than anybody else. I see it in me. But actually when I forget the, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, I see it in me. It comes back again. And I become as judgmental and as hard and as fearful as everybody else. My heart grows hard because I've forgotten. But two things to finish. Firstly, Jesus doesn't give up on him. He didn't go, you are hopeless. That's the last time I'm going to knock around with you. Here I am doing all these miracles and you just don't get it, do you? He doesn't say that. He'll keep going with them. And he'll keep going with me. And he'll keep going with you. But actually, the thing about being here in the Gospel of Mark is we're almost halfway and we've read to the end of the story. So we come together this morning as people of the resurrection. How does the resurrection change your perspective? How does it change your perspective in, you know, with respect in the smallness of your own life? Just think about that for a moment. And I'm not diminishing anything. I, I know it sounds like I'm diminishing because I'm using the word small, but I don't mean it in a negative sense, but in, the, in, the, in just the immediate life of your own, where you're straining to keep going, just keep going, but everything seems against you. What does not forgetting the resurrection mean? But then let's put it into a bigger context. Where billboards around Manchester had this. Pray for Manchester. Well, what would you want to pray? If we are people who actually hold to resurrection ascension, if our hearts aren't hardened, if actually we go, do you know what? There's a different future. It, there is a different future. How do you act then? How do you act to the people that you'll meet? I, I don't know. I think you put it on Facebook, Janet, or if you didn't, someone told me and... If it's not true, don't tell me right now. But um, I think you put somewhere, or I read, or I dreamt, <laughs> you put it on Facebook, about being at the bus stop with a couple of Muslim women. I'm preaching, it's, it's exaggeration. <laughs> you were at a bus stop with 12 Muslim women, and um, <laughs> one Muslim woman. And uh, you had the chance to talk to her, and she talked about her own. Tell us a story. Yeah. 
Okay. One Muslim woman at the bus stop, Janet Chatner, where to her, it's been a dreadful week. People have been horrible. Thank you for talking. Hey, come on. This is the cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, is it not? But we go because we're not afraid and we're not going to classify you. Because actually we're people of the resurrection. So I was reading this passage this week. And I saw in it, I saw my, my own hesitancy as a disciple where Jesus is with us, but sometimes I miss him. And I saw my own kind of heart being sold. Don't harden your heart, Neil. Don't forget what you're supposed to hang on to. And I don't know who paid for that sign to go up there. But what would you want to pray? Pray. 